Welcome to EI Dialogues, a podcast series brought to you by Educational Initiatives, an organization working towards creating a world where children everywhere are learning with understanding. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, academicians, policy makers, and education leaders to delve deeper into the most urgent and important questions on solving for quality and equity in education. This episode is hosted by Pranav Kothari. In this episode, we have with us Prachi Jain Windless. She's currently the Director of India Education at the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. One advice that I would give to education entrepreneurs is that education is no different from any other sector in delivering on your customer promise. And uh, somehow when we come to we become education entrepreneurs we and there's so many stakeholders in education we forget that you know you you don't even know who your end beneficiary is which is the student creating value for the student and you know and whatever value it may be it might be the promise of getting you into a good college it might be the promise of getting you good scores so it could be you know it could be any promise but you have to know what your promise is and you have to deliver on that promise you know this is a very generic statement pranav and it but it's so well understood in the venture world right what is your customer promise what is the value that you're creating for your customer and make sure you're delivering that value just this basic understanding is sometimes missing in our education entrepreneurs have you ever had an idea that you thought would change the world an idea that you feel would be the next game changer think smartphones search engines blockchain and even ice cream let's admit it we've all been there but of these ideas how many have seen the light of the day and if they have how many are still in operation prachi shares how impact investors such as msdf evaluate interventions the challenges they have seen these interventions face when trying to reach the last mile how she believes that technology can help bridge that gap and take our education system from fair to good and what it will take for parents and the government to pay for that technology on to pranav now thank you so much for coming prachi i'm very excited to talk to you thank you pranav for having me over so prachi you're working with governments on one end of the spectrum and young dynamic startups trying to solve problems in education on the other end of the spectrum mm. What is MSDF's investment strategy? What is the theory of change that you are employing? So Pranav, we are trying to leverage both the best of the the best of the both, right? So our strategy is that with the government which for, which provides immense scale which provides a lot of resources and the best of resources when it comes to teaching infrastructure when it comes to the schools themselves or the training infrastructures etc it's the it's you know that's really the environment our children should get so the scale of our work will come from improving our public education system but the innovation on the other hand the you know the innovation in what technologies can be used in education what will be the best in class teaching 
leading pedagogies that innovation is coming from our startup portfolio. And the startup portfolio could be both. The startup portfolio could be our uh, startups, which are for-profit companies, and they could also be not-for-profits. And we've seamlessly worked with, uh, worked with both for a very long time now, and we are very comfortable with all three coexisting in our portfolio. <coughs> Um, so, so in, in some sense, you know, our strategy is that a lot of our children are going to government schools. We have to impact and improve learning outcomes for them. Let's do it at scale and let's do it by improving what already exists, which is our government, uh, which is our public education system. But make sure we are always at the cutting edge of what needs to go in to improve them. And that's coming from the startups. And we had never thought that, you know, these two will converge. So we had never thought that, you know, this, uh, this pot of uh, constant innovation and, you know, newer organizations and newer uh, companies coming into our portfolio, they will, they, this, is, this, this has an end in itself. Innovation is an end in itself. Them improving the learning outcomes of whatever is their uh, influence, reach and impact is, is an objective in itself. But interestingly, what we are also now seeing is that the two are converging. Many of the companies and NGOs that we have worked in the past are the ones who are now working with our uh, state governments as well, as, the, as they are now looking at more and newer solutions to improve the learning outcomes of students. So, Prachi, why this romance with scale, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because, I mean, there are a lot of things that we still need to fix before, we still need to understand before we are all trying to scale solutions that may not have had the efficacy proven yet, that may not have had a theory of change uh, reliant on high quality individuals to execute on it. Mm -hmm. So why are you so pushing on scale uh, and working with the governments first? So we are pushing on the scale, Pranav, very responsibly. We have been, in our entire work, been extremely responsible about measuring impact, proving impact, impact with attribution. So, uh, and we've partnered with you and with EI and many other top assessment agencies in India uh, to make sure that that is in place. And the scale strategy that we are following is not just you know taking those examples and saying okay now that this has proven impact you know it needs it can or it needs to go to scale because in government our strategy has been very different our, our strategy has been a combination of administrative and academic reforms if you would have just had uh, you know a scale strategy in place to say this works now let's scale it in the government We've tried that also and failed with that. That won't have worked because there are some fundamental administrative inefficiencies with which no interventions can scale. No matter whether they have the history of impact or not, they just can't scale in that kind of, a, of an administrative setup. So our work with the government has been very different. Our work with the government has been, okay, let's also do the hard work of fixing the administrative issues in the system. And when and that's parallel. So it is not a, it's not a sequential strategy. It's a parallel strategy that let's also prepare the system to become better governed. Let's prepare the system to be run by data. Let's prepare the system to start holding itself accountable for children's learning levels. And this is what I'm calling the administrative reform, which is preparing the system to actually scale interventions. And that's the. Um, that's a parallel strategy which is working. Now coming back to your question on, uh, on you know, are they proven enough? Are they ready? Are the organizations ready? There are many, many aspects to scaling, right? And uh, <clears throat> I think 
the readiness is coming uh, not from these organizations which have to scale with the government but from government getting ready to scale high quality inter interventions and become not just uh, self-governing but self-improving for future as well. And a lot of these interventions who have, uh, only those interventions have actually come into the mix who have a track record of outcomes and attribution of outcomes to those interventions. So the answer is not perfect. For sure it is not perfect. If you'll ask me if have all of them gone through an RCT, no, they've not gone through an RCT. But uh, they are, in, but we know for sure through our third party assessments, through uh, you know what we are measuring in schools every day, that they are improving outcomes and they're not incrementally improving the outcomes, they're actually dramatically improving the outcomes of students. MSTF has been the longest uh, supporter of assessments. Um, you know, from the very early onset, uh, MSTF has believed in student assessments, believed in measuring impact, validating that. Yeah. Can you describe the genesis of that? So why did you so strongly believe in it from almost a decade ago when yeah. this wasn't the common parlance that it is yeah, today? Yeah. I think we are we we were we are so uh, we are so dogmatic almost about assessments because none of us comes from a background in education. So the history in the foundation is when we started, and uh, none of us were was an educationist. No one understood education. We had to put some metrics around it to see whether or not the work we are supporting is actually creating the impact that we want. And uh, I mean honestly, that's the genesis of our work. But it's the bedrock of our work. Till date, it continues that whatever we are funding, supporting, and scaling, it has to prove impact at all of those levels. And um, and we've been we've been very fortunate to have partners like you, partners like Gray Matters India, and others to have been uh, to have been there, uh, you know, all along that journey. But if you were to ask me. Uh, have we done enough over there? That's one part of the ecosystem or that's one part of uh, the entire development dialogue in education in India, which is still an underdeveloped area. Uh, do we have enough uh, data available with us and not just data, do we have enough insights available with us which can inform not just existing work but generation of work that has to yet to come we definitely don't. Do we have these available publicly? Definitely not. Uh, do we, are, are newer organizations starting off at a higher point in terms of creating their own uh, repository of insights? Uh, we don't. And uh, so, so this is a very underdeveloped uh, area of work altogether. And uh, till, till that's the situation, you know, there is a role for us uh, to play in data and in assessments. And uh, the, the, but the thing which is changing is that now, at least with folks like us, with you and others, there is at least that uh, you know there's that body of work of the last 10, 15, 20 years, mm. uh, whatever you choose to call it, where uh, good and very rich information is sitting. Yes. Our work with you on the common misconceptions, which describes. A you know, through millions of children which you have now assessed, that these in the in these grades and in these subjects, these are the hard spots of children. Yes. Is 
is something just very basic, right? Every education company should have that data and say, okay, before I go anywhere else, this base I have to cover. Right. And uh, so what gives, yes, I'm saying from at one hand that this is the most underdeveloped area of, uh, of the education ecosystem today. And therefore, you know, we have a long way to go, you have a long way to go. But at the same time, we have together in the past few years, created enough IP and work products, which we should now be leveraging even more. We literally started from ground zero on this one. Well, it's great to hear that a lot of the work that you have sponsored, commissioned, you know, been active partners is, is going to be in the public domain, that it's going to help everyone, not just people who were grants from you or got investments from you, but this, for example, this list of the top misconceptions mm -hmm. for every great subject combination is going to be a great starting point Absolutely. for a lot of implementation agencies or even uh, solutions providers yeah. to like not sort of try to make a solution in a black box, but almost have a menu of things that they yeah. need to resolve yeah. Yeah. before they go yeah. ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the purpose of it. Yeah. And uh, misconceptions is, is one example and that we could leverage immensely in, our, in all of our collective work going forward. But the simplicity of these metrics and the standardization of these metrics, uh, which ha has already brought about a huge change in the ecosystem altogether, right? There is, there is a sifting now which is possible to say, okay, these are the organizations which can provide me the outcome that I'm looking at. Uh, looking for and at this cost and you know there is there is this track record or this uh, you know these outcomes which they have been rigorously uh, measured through for the past and there are you know there are others which are still in the development phase so at least you know that uh, sifting is now possible through through what we've been able to do in the past can you give some examples of this sifting like i mean what does it really mean um, sitting from where you are uh, what do you mean now that you have organizations that have gotten some track record, some that are in development? Is this based only on assessments? Is this based on other things? If you can just sort of give some examples of this, that'd be great. Sure. So we have, from the very beginning, measured the impact of all of these organizations through common assessments, uh, which can be used across organizations, irrespective of the nature of the intervention the geography of the intervention, as well as the nature of the organization. So if there is something being funded by Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, it would go through a common assessment administered by a third party. So whether it's headmaster leadership training in yes. remote parts of Rajasthan, or it's you know in-classroom intervention in Orissa, or it's giving supplementary learning materials, they all take the same student learning assessment. Absolutely. And from a portfolio perspective, you're able to see where they started out, where they ended, and what was the impact on student learning outcomes. Absolutely, on absolutely, net of control. Right. So we can we know where they started, where they ended, and we also know if these children were not given any intervention altogether, you know, what the impact on their learning outcomes would have been. So this data is available for multiple years on these organizations. We have the data on their longitudinal performance as well. And we also have the data on their cost structures and the you know, and whatever you choose to call the nature of the intervention. Like you said, you know, the headmaster training is a much more complex intervention possibly than um, a very scripted remedial program. Uh, the costs might be very different, but also the intervention model or the operational model might be very different. 
So what we have been able to do in our portfolio is to bucket interventions in these categories, apply these common assessments to them and then be able to put a frame around it that at, what, at this cost for this period of time with this kind of an operational model, really what is the ROI, what is the return on my investment and what is it that I'm going to get. And once we were able to you know, move away from just a portfolio of companies to, to these buckets, to these standardized metrics, then we were able to, I mean, that's actually where the, you know, the non-linear part of our growth journey actually started. That's when we were able to, you know, work with the government actually and say that, okay, Rajasthan government, you've, uh, you know, you're ready to launch pedagogic interventions at scale for the entire state. Here is Bodh Shiksha Samiti, which has worked in your school system for several years and this is their track record and these are their outcomes. Uh, we were able to launch more recently the development impact bond which is which is which has been which has become possible only because of this kind of data being available in these organizations right uh, just imagine uh, you know the risk investor over there he's actually the, you know the risk investors are actually taking a bet on these organizations and they're saying that uh, you know which organizations will give me that guaranteed return in their outcomes and you know I have to be sure that uh, they will be able to deliver on that so so to be to be able to simply provide not just the historical data but also to be able to provide it in buckets because right. they all come with a different cost per child as well is what is making such ecosystem uh, interventions actually possible which is where you know scale starts coming into picture right. because this is not something that we can do alone but this is something that we have to do collaboratively with many other funders as well as uh, right. organizations which will be able to do that. What I'm hearing is, you know, there's a lot of power and benefit in having a rich data set that spans multiple years and multiple organizations' theories of change, right? So what I heard is the longitudinal part is important because some interventions may not show impact in the first or the second year, but would sort of make up and catch up in the fourth or fifth year, yeah. like the headmaster leadership yes. uh, training piece, right? But there are other organizations that are showing impact early on. Uh, but are much more expensive hmm. on a cost per child basis. So you almost have this matrix, which is like, you know, what learning uh, growth would happen, when it would happen, and how much would it cost per child. Yes. To then sort of go to the government and saying, you know, all of this has been done in very similar settings. And when you, we take it to scale in your state, this is what you can expect. And even having those benchmarks to be able to then say, you know, this is what was done at small scale, at mid scale, Absolutely. at large scale, and how do we calibrate for all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. And you're saying this is a good starting point for the development impact bond because now you already have a rich data set uh, which allows you to, you know, convince the risk investor to say, hey, this is, you know, baseline data and this is how you can price the premiums and the things for that. So tell, tell us more about this development impact bond. You know, why did you start this? What was the genesis of this? Uh, how, how do you see this going into the future? Hmm. Hmm. It's very, very interesting for us. It's new and new is always exciting, but it serves two important, uh, two very important goals that we always set for ourselves. One goal is that there has to be, you know, uh, 
linkage uh, to performance in in the sector we talk a lot about performance but we neither incentivize performance nor do we actually measure performance right so there has to be linkage with performance um, there has to be there you know we have to be able to scale the work which is good and the work which is you know which is going to benefit our children and there and we have to do it in collaboration so if something is working it is showing the results we need to scale it but then to scale you need more resources so we should be able to collaborate uh, much more right. so so these three objectives the used to be you know uh, used to be a quest for msdf almost to say okay how do we actually get others as excited about our work as right. we do but how do we continue with the with the rigor that we bring in in terms of uh, in terms of uh, focus on learning outcomes and so all of those three objectives if you come to think of it get met very well in the in the dib there are the organizations which are participating in the dib on the service providers side uh, are are you know saying that yes you know if you if if i participate in this program so you know i will be able to deliver this uh, outcome for you and there are there are two entities at either end of the of the dib there are risk investors who are saying that yes i believe that these organizations at this cost structure in this time period will be able to do that and there are outcome funders uh, like us who are saying that yes if in fact that is true i would want to you know incentivize that right. achievement of the outcome so it's a it's it's a very neat structure to do it at scale and to do it collaboratively are there any downsides to this structure what is the biggest counter argument against uh, the dib many pranav i mean you 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 said some of them right that there are uh, it's not been tested enough nothing can be ever tested enough there are uh, we've not just tested this enough uh, in terms of organizations uh, we are um, you know there are there are there is not there is little to lose for the organizations which are participating in it we've not been able to solve for that part of the problem yet and uh, and and at some level there is also a risk that uh, you know this takes away from Uh, you know if this becomes the structure it takes away from the innovation that needs to keep happening without uh, you know without the because more and more people the, want more to and more people want models. to yeah. back and uh, yeah. you know pay for the proven models so at some stage i can also say that you know this will start taking away from the innovation that we still at any stage we always have to be innovating right. so it could take away from that as well technology changes so fast right if you were to look into the crystal maze Uh, and think about ten years from now. Like, what do you see? Like, what would have happened to technology? What would have happened to the school systems? You know, what are some things? Uh, what are some problems of the future that need to be solved? The problems of the future may not be uh, very different from the problems of today in terms of uh, in terms of what the. larger definition of the problem is so the larger definition of the problem if i were to define it for our target segment of children coming from poor families is that we want to move out and break the circle of poverty for our children and education is my biggest tool to be able to do that so will this problem definition change no but uh, will the you know will will our methods to achieve that objective need to be different definitely yes 
so today when we look at our target segment children they they look upon the knowledge economy of india as as the as their aspiration they want to move out of the circle of poverty and be sitting in the you know in the top companies of the world and uh, is our education system empowering them to be doing that it is not it's definitely not doing that right we are just talking about the basics today right. we're talking about our kids achieving grade level competencies in schools which is the right first step given that our journey is that from poor to fair but what will be our journey from fair to good will be you know will be the question for technology to answer and that's the reason technology is needed because our children will not wait for us to innovate uh, both on the solution as well as on the implementation every 5 or 10 years they you know as the world changes those solutions should be coming to them at the scale at which uh, and wherever they are so so that's what technology has to solve it has to change the pace of change it has to change the uh, the you know the the scale of the these solutions it has to change very very rapidly i'm sure you get a lot of this uh, pushback from people saying how will technology reach the last mile in india hmm. where there may not be electricity where teachers may not have exposure to technology where internet is not available where the cost of device is so high what is your response to them so all of those are real problems pranav i mean they are uh, the last mile is still an issue in india and uh, the teachers adoption of technology is also is also poor it is uh, it's not something that they have grown up seeing and it's not something that they naturally take up but uh, what gives me hope are two extreme examples one is from our government work uh, in haryana where we have almost moved to a system of sending uh, training videos to teachers on whatsapp because it was becoming very difficult to pull out the teachers from the classrooms again and again for content training and that has had huge adoption almost 80 90% teachers wow. actually view these lectures and through a monitoring system we are being able to also see that they are actually delivering that in the classroom Fantastic. so that gives me a lot of hope so the other extreme example is that of avanti which is an iit je coaching program so their teachers are are expert teachers they uh they have a different problem their problem is that they would not want to accept anyone else's material for teaching and they they have a huge adoption of the training videos as well because they see value in those so looking at those two extreme examples yes last mile is a problem process adherence in general in india is an issue so you know take up and adherence in teachers is is also an issue in india but these two examples give me hope that if you are creating value for the teacher if you are saving her time and making her more effective teachers are our smartest uh, individuals right if they see it then they will adopt it so project children are going either to the free government schools or the private schools when we talk about the k12 education landscape right which means ultimately either the government has to pay or a parent has to pay for some of these edtech solutions that we've been talking about otherwise we will never be able to reach the scale that we are dreaming of right philanthropy is only a bridge towards that do you think that they will ever pay do you think the governments or retail parents will ever pay for edtech solutions or other interventions 
You're very right and you frame it beautifully, uh, Pranav, that philanthropy is only a bridge to that stage when the, you know, when uh, before government starts paying or the parents themselves start paying. Let's first talk about parents, it's easier. So if you come to think of our parents, uh, especially, you know, those who are living uh, very underprivileged lifestyles today. So are these parents paying? Yes, they are paying. They're paying as high as 20, 30, 40% of their earnings towards their children's education by sending them to private schools, by sending them to tuitions, irrespective of whether or not they are in government schools or private schools. So yes, the parents are paying. Uh, are they paying for EdTech? No, they're not paying for EdTech. At least our experience doesn't show that they're paying for any form of education technology at scale in India today. But that's a segment I'm very hopeful of, right? Because they understand that they need better quality for their children. They've already opened their wallet to pay for better quality. And if, it, if EdTech actually delivers on that promise and and communicates that to the parents, communicates that to the parents that yes, I am able to give your child better education than what your school is and tuition is being able to provide, they will pay. That's the question which I have uh, no doubt about. Government is a trickier one, right? It's always a tricky one. Should they pay? Of course they should pay. <laughs> will they pay at some point of time? Uh, at some point of time, they will pay. Uh, when will that time be is hard to predict but what needs to be done before they start paying at least to us is clear we believe that when again you know these metrics become standardized and they become widely and adopted in the system and widely accepted in the system that's a step one of the government to be able to pay. Come to think of it, right? I mean, we all blame the government for not paying for some of these services. It is so much harder to pay for edtech today versus paying for, say, painting your classroom, right? You you wanted your class to be painted white, you ordered white paint, they brought white paint and they painted it up. And you can see at the end and you can cut a check for that. When you're using public funds to be able to do the same for uh, for education, it's not as black and white, and we are not collectively making an effort to make it to make it black and white. So, so at least that step one has to happen. Whether or not it will happen even after the step one is accomplished, uh, it is very hard to say. But I am very hopeful. I'm uh, the reason I'm very hopeful is that all the efforts uh, uh, that the government is making today is sort of prepping us for that. We are already talking about distributing laptops to our teachers or some form of uh, hardware to our teachers. We are talking about personalized education. We are talking about learning outcomes. You and I know that these were not conversations that we are having uh, even five or six years ago. Right. They are they are doing pilots. So both the uh, government of uh, Rajasthan, where you guys are working, EI is working very closely, is doing a large scale pilot on not just EI solutions with MindSpark, but uh, so many other companies right. with Avanti, with Convigenius, with uh, English Learning Solutions. Um, government of Haryana is doing it. Andhra Pradesh is doing it. So there are many of these state governments which are actively engaging with technology and uh, and and you know they have adopted technology in many other areas so it's a it's a matter of time i'm not thinking like even decades over here i'm thinking it's few years and what we have to do in those few years we have to make those uh, metrics 
much better understood, much widely accepted, much simpler uh, for that eventual adoption to happen. I like your analogy of the painting, right? So there's a bare wall, you ordered the white paint, you painted it, now you can see the wall is painted right. and you're willing to pay for this. Yeah. In the edtech setup, uh, one part of that can be solved just with the hardware, right? Mm. There was no tablet, you ordered a tablet, the child is holding a tablet and is now working on it. That part is visible, it's tangible, it's something that you can touch. Hopefully parents and governments can see that and yeah. pay for that. I think the equivalent of whether the child is learning from that tablet or the laptop or the technology device, that's a more invisible yes. sort of piece, right? So when you talk about these metrics, what would it be? What would be the equivalent of white paint, which is visible both in terms of benefits and in optics? What would that be for edtech, where it's not just about touching you know, a tablet, but it's about learning from that tablet. It's about learning from that tablet. And, uh, and while it might uh, seem insufficient, measurement of grade level competencies and achievement of uh, grade level competencies is, a, is part of that learning. It may not be the full learning, there might be other aspects that uh, children have to learn, but that is one aspect of learning which we know is measurable. You know, to the ultimate payer, yeah. which is the parent or even the government in some cases, what is that language, what is the translated equivalent of the words that we use to be able to see, see that learning is happening? Yes, and that's why what I have been uh, saying throughout uh, Pranav is the standardization of the metrics. And metrics is too heavy a term probably, but what do I have in mind with metrics, right? All our parents understand 60%, uh, 70%, they all yes. understand percentages, right? Yes. They all understand that above 65% is good, below a certain number is very bad, you fail. It is also a metric. We are just what is going into, you know, coming out with that number is not correct. Right. What we are measuring over there is incorrect. So, uh, so in my mind, it's not a, you know, it's uh, it's not as if our parents don't understand. They of course understand. They are, uh, they have trusted a system to say that when they actually said sixty percent, seventy percent, they would have done the right thing. It's just that the right thing has not been done to get to that number. So, so that's why there is a shift needed in the dialogue on learning outcomes, on grade, uh, achievement of grade level competencies. But it is, it's, it's not at all different from what it should be, right? right? In our classrooms, that's what our teachers are being told that you know your children. There is a national curricular framework. It is uh, NCRT has done a great job in terms of converting that to learning outcomes that children have to achieve. Teachers are using both their tools as well as their strategies in order right. to achieve that common goal. Yes, we are some distance away from standards, learning standards, uh, but that's the only way forward. That's the only way forward and the communication of it has not yet been done, but definitely can be done because our parents are already working on these, kind of, uh, these kinds of metrics, right? Yes. And I also feel, Prachi, that you know, technology is not very expensive uh, given how we're used to operating in a shared economy today. right? So today most of us don't own cars, but we happily ride in an Uber or yeah. an Ola and get the feeling of driving in mm. your own mm. car mm. with a driver. Right? In technology also, I feel like if you are able to think of not necessarily a one device per child, 
but uh, having a device that is rotated among students that allows for the one-is-to-one -one personalized usage of it, yep. but a fractional ownership. You know, our estimates show that this is less than 250 rupees per child per year or about $5 per child per year. Right? And then layering on a high-quality software, given the software economies of scale, uh, you can actually make it cheaper than a textbook because Absolutely. you know the scale really helps. Yeah. So all in all, you know, at about 700 rupees per child per year, uh, the cost for hardware, the cost for software, and the marginal cost of implementation and training being close to zero because you plug into the existing line items, we're looking at somewhere around a five percent, you know, of the current spending per child towards an edtech solution. And so I'm actually quite hopeful hmm. that hmm. you know the myth that technology is expensive or hmm. that technology hmm. cannot be used for learning or that technology cannot be done by younger children in remote villages. Uh, I think those are very solvable problems as India continues to make economic progress and that you know the electricity and internet reaches the last mile. But even today, at least half of our schools have access to the basics to implement edtech. Yep. So I think the real game changer for me, I think, is when the benefits of edtech are so visible to you know an average parent citizen to see that yes my child is now able to read a newspaper or do the market transaction sensibly is i think that would be like the equivalent of us you know taking edtech yes, to scale yes definitely pranav i think cost is the uh, is the other big scale factor which has to come in. It's the only factor which can get you to scale. And like you very well said that, you know, metrics is, and you know, achievement of them is one part of it. But the other part is the cost has to make sense. Yes. If I, in a country like India, if I'm able to get uh, a 200 rupees tuition for my child and that makes my child ace uh, his or her exams, does it make sense for me to invest in an 8,000 rupees tablet on which I have to renew at 2,000 rupees per year or so on and so forth? you know many parents will will really think about it and I think that's something for our education entrepreneurs to keep in mind as well it is not just about hardware it is about software as well right I mean how will you ride on the existing gigantic uh, software infrastructure also that exists, right? You know, does every company need to reinvent Google search as a search for education? Do we need to create a new communication uh, platform when WhatsApp has literally penetrated to the last mile to every single individual in India? So if our education entrepreneurs are not going to keep that in mind, that how do I leapfrog by leveraging what exists in the system, we will never be able to leapfrog, right? Then yes. you're becoming another Google and it take, you know, Google, yes. you know, a few decades to get where we, where we got. Um, and, you know, I have seen that happen. I have seen that happen in Haryana and in Himachal, where if we would have hired, uh, 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 you know, a, a software company to say, okay, please create an architect communication channel for us so that we can reach every, you know, I would be still waiting, but we are not because we, we just said, okay, one thing we know that WhatsApp is there on all teachers' right. phones. Let's create very good quality videos. Let's create on top of it a monitoring mechanism yes. to make sure that they actually saw that video and are using that video. And 
you know, in on day seven we were in the classrooms, right? Amazing. Versus on day seven we would still be floating tenders and you know selecting. Not even ten. We would have been writing our scope, uh, of, scope, work. scope <laughs> of work and iterating through that. Uh, so we have to leverage what is there. We have to, you know, we have to leverage our existing uh, software applications. Uh, internet, whatever it is, you know, you, you can't start everything from scratch. We don't have the time to start again from scratch and there is no need to start, to start again. There's a new edtech startup that's emerging on the Indian uh, education scene every day. If I were to come to you as a new entrepreneur in education, hmm. what would be your advice to me, given that you have dealt with so many of them through multiple highs and lows over your career? One advice that I would give to education entrepreneurs is that education is no different from any other sector in delivering on your customer promise. And uh, somehow when we come to, we become education entrepreneurs, we, and there's so many stakeholders in education, we forget that. You know, you, you don't even know who your end beneficiary is, which is the student, creating value for the student. And, you know, and whatever value it may be, it might be the promise of getting you into a good college, it might be the promise of getting you good scores, it might be the promise of even saying that, you know, we will be able to coach you in that journey of getting into a good college. So it could be, you know, it could be any promise. But you have to know what your promise is and you have to deliver on that promise. And this is a state you know, this is a very generic statement, Pranav, and it, but it's so well understood in the venture world, right? What is your customer promise? Right. What is the value that you're creating for your customer? And make sure you're delivering right. that value. Somehow in education, just this basic understanding is sometimes missing in our education entrepreneurs. And, uh, and I think we have to start from there as we, but as we hard, start thinking no, of our I ventures. don't know what it is. Uh, do I talk about children learning? Do I talk about their parents being happy to pay them? Do I talk about the school's 10 percentage marks increasing? I mean, what should I be delivering on and hmm. who should I be delivering hmm. to? Hmm. Who does this value accrue hmm. to? So that, I didn't say it's easy. <laughs> I didn't say it's easy. It's really hard. Uh, and that's the reason we do not have any large ed tech company, which is, you know, which is, uh, uh, success in that sense today because there are many stakeholders. The stakeholders who are purchasing are different from the stakeholders who are using which is sort of you know probably peculiar to our sector and does not happen in many other sectors. The uh, except for very few uh, very few sub segments of education uh, in many other segments, you cannot even say that whether or not you've created that value or generated that value, right? Test prep is one which stands out for me because the promise is very clear. Mm. I'll get you this an exam, I'll get you to clear right. that exam and you know, you clear it or you don't clear it. In others, it's harder to even uh, say whether you've been able to create that value for the student or not. It's great to be partners in this journey together for such a long time. Son. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you so much Thank for coming you, and speaking to us. Thank you so much. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, do subscribe to our podcast. To hear more on financing in development sector, do listen to our episodes with Ashish Thavan, Santosh Matthew and Akshay Saxena. You can also check out the entire video series on www.youtube.com slash eivideos.